From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this Friday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parmenil McCready, Clark Ford at studio this morning. David Brandt of the Associated Press. No longer the Mississippi Associated Press. He's in Phoenix. He'll be on the show. We'll probably tell some stories, reminisce, ask him what's going on out uh, a little more uh, a little more west. Close to west. Not a not a Fred Smoot thing from back in the day when uh, State was playing BYU and Smoot goes, he's never seen the West Coast before. Oh. I was really excited about it. So, not quite that. But, uh, you know, anyway. We'll talk to David here in a bit on a podcast brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. You can use the SpeedPass Plus app. Great way to get fuel to uh, take care of what you need to take care of and protect yourself as much as possible in the uh, situations and the circumstances we find ourselves in. Also, go next door to the Oxford Crystal. Even with uh, the uh, shelter-in-place laws that have gone into effect, ordinance that has gone into effect here, uh, just use the drive-through. Still, uh, get adva- take advantage of that there on Highway 6 West. Again, coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio. We are Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes and business hours. Right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get to quote. The rest is up to you. Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove that to you when you make the call. 662-257-1900. David Brandt and other guests join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Um. You guys know the deal. When we when we come back, eventually, at some point, rafters will be there. You should go check them out. Great food, great uh, great place to watch whatever it is that we watch now instead of sports on all their screens. And um, bluegrass brunch, chicken and waffles, all that stuff, Bloody Marys, mimosas, all that stuff that people used to enjoy back in the old days is right there at Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. Um, as we get started here, um, if you're if you're the type, uh, say a prayer for David Johnson. We've been, been talking about the message board a little bit. There's been a lot of stuff on Twitter as he continues to uh, battle COVID-19. Uh, he's been on a ventilator for, I guess, close to a week now. I don't know the exact day, but somewhere in you there. You heard an so update this morning. I have not. Um, yesterday, there's a lot of prayer requests going out. Again, protecting privacy here, but just if you, uh, if, 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 if that's your thing, do me a favor and, uh, and, and do that today as, uh, we, uh, we watch this. So <clears throat> anyway, uh, no good segue there. We'll talk to David here in a bit. Uh, do have a couple different things. I had mentioned, I guess yesterday or the day before about the, uh, the Oxford food pantry ways to kind of help out there, kind of what they had going on. I, I looked this up cause I was curious. They're specifically in need of canned soups, canned vegetables, spaghetti, and dried beans, um, are the things there. So if you have that laying around, if you'd like to help locally in some way, um, you can also mail cash donations. That's the Oxford food pantry, PO 588 Oxford, obviously 38655. It's located at 713 Molly Bar Road next to the uh, police department. You, the shopping hours are only Wednesday and Thursday, which seems really, really limited, but I don't know what their stock is. I don't know what's going on, but I'm sure they would be happy to accept any donations or materials that they have uh, coming uh, coming through that. So, um, Also, 
let's see. I, I had this up, and this is this isn't about golf. We just we, we talked about scheduling. We talked about basically what we're talking about every day is when things can can return, when possibly things can come back to normal. And I, we've got two things here that they're both golf related, but they're not golf related. It's it, it, it's life, and it's it's when we might can get back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, first, that if you're just kind of curious on what some of these sports executives went through and making some of these decisions. He's not well known, but maybe the top sports sports executive in the world for a major tour is Mike Wan. He's the LPGA commissioner, um, women's golf. He does a hell of a job with them, and he's on the No Laying Up podcast this week, talking about his decisions, why he was early to cancel, what went into it, what he dealt with mentally on making all his decisions, how he kind of handles what to cancel in the future, how far out to do it, why a lot of just really the first twenty minutes of that interview is a lot of. Pretty neat stuff as far as his thought processes through this entire thing. Also, yesterday, um, Eamon Lynch for Golf Week says that the new tour or the PGA Tour is trying to put a new schedule in place and that if they uh, were able to do this, and there's, look, there's caveats all throughout this. If we don't know if things change every 12 hours, it seems like right now, so who knows. But as of right now, it's kind of what I predicted yesterday when I when I made those at the end of the show. The PGA Tour is uh, hoping for a mid-June return in some form or fashion as far as the actual t- tour. And then they are discussing playing the Masters in November. Um, they're discussing playing the Ryder Cup still in this calendar year of uh, 2020. They said yesterday that... Um, the uh, the British Open or the Open Championship or whatever you want to call it, it was originally slated for July 16th to 19th at uh, Royal St. George's in England. It said they going to be postponed or canceled entirely. They uh, the, the first reports was that it was going to be canceled, but then now they're talking about maybe just postponement. Not sure, or at least the Royal and Ancient Club said postponement there. Um, but they think that there's possibility of having some type of major September 17th through September 20th. That would be a week before the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits in, uh, in Wisconsin. And then if they uh, if the Royal Ancient Club decides they can't do that, there's even a possibility the U.S. Open at Wingfoot is played during that time period as well. So the point is, everything's really on hold until June. The PGA Tour at least thinks there's the possibility of, uh, of returning sometime in mid-June, and they're trying to get some majors in. They're trying to get... Uh, the Ryder Cup in, and then we'll kind of go from there. But that's that's sort of what they are canceling from a, from a from a golf standpoint, from a sports standpoint of what uh what to do. So I'm not who knows. We'll we'll see. But I did think that was interesting as far as when they thought they could potentially return, what they could potentially do, and then uh go uh go go from there. Also, one more note on that, just for any golf people, there's a good possibility that because of whatever reasons, the I guess because New York is under such a firestorm, instead of playing at Wingfoot, they might play on the West Coast. So they mentioned Pebble Beach, Torrey Pines for options to get that done. However, with the less of lack of daylight on the West Coast at this time of the year, they potentially would have to play multiple courses, do some different things to uh to to, to take care of that. So I don't know. We'll uh. We'll see. We'll see what uh, ends up happening. But those were the two things that I kind of had, uh, had had bookmarked here as we're uh, trying to, uh, to to figure that out, trying to figure out when possibly we return to some form of uh, of normalcy as we uh, as, as we get going, kind of looking around a little bit here. Uh, if you're looking for stuff to just watch, I did see this, on, and I guess we knew this anyway, but all, if you've got ESPN Plus and everybody's trying to stream everything right now, all the 30 for 30s are available on ESPN Plus. You can go through, you can watch them, you can find different ways to uh, to uh, to take care of that. So, anyway, <clears throat> Mr. McCready, how are you? I'm good. 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 Had to enter authentic- authentication codes on a banking account thing. So, that was confusing for a second. Uh, I'm good. All is, all is well. Um. 
working on a uh, my food for thought thing that'll be up later this morning. Just also about a lot of scheduling stuff. If you read some tea leaves, um, you can start to get some ideas for some things. Uh, a lot of college campuses announcing, a lot of Power 5 college campuses announcing that they're either going to be online for the entire summer or certainly the first part of the summer, and then they'll decide on the second part of the summer. Ross Dellinger made a tweet. I've heard this, the same thing. It's We talked about this. I guess we talked about it yesterday a mm-hmm. little bit. More and more apparent that football programs aren't going to resume until August. They're, they're just – summers are not going to happen, which is – going to make it interesting Jimbo Fisher has made the comment that he can have his team ready in three weeks three Um, weeks three weeks most coaches say they need eight weeks Um, that's a big difference big difference Um, if it's eight weeks you're talking about October if it's six weeks you're talking about what I said yesterday which is mid to late September starting and having to have some adjustments on the fly and that kind of thing so I don't know. I'm interested to get David's thoughts on it because I know he's out there in Pac-12 land and stuff. And I, I do hear it's got to be somewhat unilateral this this year. People are going to have to get, which is going to be interesting, getting that many programs kind of on the same schedule. And it's almost where you don't. You almost just set something and go, hey, guys, it is what it is. Yeah, well, the, the problem they already have, and you saw a little bit of this on Twitter yesterday, they have rules out about off-seasons. And yeah, at least I'm, one program's already violating the rules. Yeah, multiple coaches have said that essentially they can't even ask when any type of um, workouts are happening. They can't ask questions of the players whatsoever. Well, I posted and the then, I posted yeah. the written rule on the board yesterday. And Alabama is apparently using Apple Watch data to not just know when they're working out, but actually get measurements and get get information from that from 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 that mechanism. Well, I can tell you they've been turned in. Not shocked. So that's going to be part of the problem. Part of the problem is going to be in a in a restart of some sort where the NCAA is saying, "Hey guys, can we try to do this in a way where we just understand that we're keeping the we're keeping our 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 coffers filled enough to pay the bills and not do this in a way where everyone's looking for a competitive advantage?" The answer to that is no. not in this, which is going to create problems. Because as Grindhard says, Bama gonna Bama. Any little whatever. But I can tell you that the school that turned Alabama in is a blue blood. That is actually following the rules. I got a good idea who you're talking about. I got a hunch. Got a hunch, too. Based on some things, the way that things came out yesterday. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'd be willing to bet good money. You can't, you can't, you can, the way I understand it is if the kids ask, because a lot of these kids are in places like, you know, I am, I miss my gym. I don't have, I don't have a a squat rack. I don't have a bench press machine. I don't have all the, the weight machines that I employ. Usually I'm having to use resistance bands. I'm having to use dumbbells. I'm having to use body weight exercises. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Um, I'm, YouTubing some stuff and that kind of thing, trying to, you know, come up with something where I don't lose every bit of progress that I made in a year. But if you're a, if you're an athlete and you're trying to stay in the type of shape that um, 
that they're in, you know, and you're quarantined, a lot of those guys don't have any equipment at all. And so they can ask and, and the, the people at the school can give them workouts, but they can't then follow up and say, did you do it? How did you do? What did you do? Now the kid can call and say, hey, I struggled with this, this, and this, and they can give them. You can you can have a human relationship, but you can't have a you can't have a coach. Yes, you can have a coach relationship. That's what it is. Right. You guys are in the live stream are overthinking this on who turned them in. Yeah, come on, think about it. It's not Auburn. <laughs> no, it's not Auburn. How did I get Auburn in trouble yesterday? And it's not Memphis. I mean, sorry, Memphis. Grindhart says I tried to get Auburn in trouble yesterday. Did you? I didn't. I didn't. If I did, I didn't. I wasn't aware. I don't think about Auburn as much as I think Auburn thinks I think about Auburn, apparently. I didn't know that I did anything to get anybody in trouble yesterday. I contributed to the thread by saying Lane Kiffin had said the same thing because that's what Lane Kiffin told us that day. The prayer circle thing has been a lingering, a lingering conversation with you and the the the, the, the plainsmen over the yeah, years. Yeah, they they took that the wrong way. I'm, I have no problem with teams having prayer circles or prayer ovals or prayer squares. A prayer square has more alliteration to it kind of more of a rhyme it sounds better than a prayer circle i did criticize the shape of the circle because they were in an oval which is not a circle but i have no issue with them praying i did not notice this i was reading through while we're talking to see if there's anything interesting from uh laramie had a q a in the athletic he uh he donated two hundred fifty thousand dollars for uh for relief for food or something sorry i'm not sure exactly what it was for but nonetheless um i didn't know he trained at liberty last off season did you no, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reading here, it says, last year you spent your offseason training at Liberty University where your old old Miss coach, Hugh Freeze, now works, but that's not an option right now, so how do you go about staying in shape? He says he has a mini gym in his garage, blah, 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 blah. Wow. Yeah, he trained at Liberty last year. That's good. They've maintained that close relationship. Hey, look, it's the, it, it, is, it is one of my favorite just kind of like ongoing storylines is that you never see Robert, you never see Quan or anybody, but Laramie, he's around everybody all the time. I mean, there, there are no issues. Well, like comes back all good. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it's interesting because you do, he's, he's, he's kind of a constant presence um, here, yeah. obviously at Liberty as well. So, yeah. Um, he said he's dealing with the same thing we're dealing with as he has no idea what day it is when he's doing this, uh, this interview. I was listening to a podcast yesterday with Jason Hayward talking about, you know, his body says, Hey, it's time to go. It's time to play. Let's go play. And that you have to be care. You know, he has to be careful cause he's, he's in Arizona. I guess I could get David to drop by and see him. You know, he doesn't, doesn't know what the schedule is. I know what he's doing. Do you, do you, do you back off a little bit? Do you ramp it up? How do you keep your arms and stuff in shape? A lot there. I do feel like maybe I mean uh, barring something going very very positive or very very negative, I do feel like we're about to, from a sports standpoint, we've kind of played out the hypotheticals. I feel like we're going to go into a seven or ten day lull now, where frankly there's not much to talk about. I, I think it's going to get. Did you ever finish your tournament? I got four left. Four left. Yeah, we got four left. No reason to be in a hurry. No, um, no. we got time. So yeah. lots of time. <laughs> no, I think I think we're going to get to a place where 
you know, it's like I, I kind of am writing this morning. You know, at some point, it takes a little while for people to put things in context. But I think we have. I think we've begun to put things in perspective. I mean, you know, right now we're not a traditional sports show. It might not be one for a while. Um, we're not a traditional sports site. Might not be one for a while. People ask, you know, where's the recruiting stuff? I don't get it much, just a little bit. Well, I mean, let's be honest here. All they can have is Skype conversations right now. There's no face-to-face. I mean, there are some grad transfer kids that I'm trying to get in touch with who are going to make decisions after Skype visits, after virtual tours. Mm-hmm. Do you know how do you do a virtual tour safely right now? Like in the building? Yeah. How many people can you have in the building at once before you're putting people at risk? I don't know. Oh, and technically they're closed. Yeah. Well, the campuses are closed. Yeah. I saw you tweeted about it. Um, Michael Leach got into some Twitter trouble uh, yesterday. He is uh, he sort of apologized for a uh, since-deleted tweet showing a meme of a woman knitting her husband a noose during self-quarantine. A lot of memes out there joking about all the uh, the relationships that are stuck together right now. He uh, he removed the tweet, and then he said, um, let's see, where was his... Uh, I, I sincerely regret if my choices of images and my tweets were found offensive. I had no intention, intention of offending anyone. It t- shows how high-strung we are right now because that is like the 25th most offensive thing he's tweeted in the last three months. What's not offensive at all? It's funny. It's funny. I mean, there's lots of stuff about husbands and I mean, look, when this is over, divorce rates are going to skyrocket. Skyrocket. If you're a divorce attorney, there is a, a just bonanza on the other side of this coming your way. He made a joke. It was clearly a joke about a woman's knitting a noose. And someone says, well, you can't make noose jokes in Mississippi. Give me a break. Shut up. That was actually the issue? Yeah. You You can't talk about nooses in Mississippi given the historical context. It is about a woman. And in this case, in the in the meme, it's a white woman knitting a noose for her husband who's Race is, is not identified. Identified. It's very clearly a, a, a deal that says she's so sick of her husband that she wants to get rid of him. It's satirical. It was a joke. It was the offshoot of one that's been going around where they stick a voodoo doll got like a knitting needle absolutely and a doll. It's, it's, it's it's an offshoot of that i don't know which one came first but either way she's very clearly not going to actually hang her husband it's a joke haha it was funny i do wonder had he if he were still the coach at washington state and he put out the exact same tweet would there have been pushback probably not but i i think though and i think i saw this didn't his own players criticize him apparently so and that does bring an element into it. Not necessarily for an apology national, nationally, but that does bring well, an element I mean, into it. It might help if he stayed in Mississippi more than 24 hours. He might get a feel for things being a little different. Well, but that's kind of my point. I he's think in there Key is, West. Yeah, big say, I think there's probably a lack of, hey, you're one of us yet. You know what I mean? You, you're you're using Florida stamps on your tweets and all this, and hey, you're, you're not here with us. I know you can't be right now anyway, but you know what I mean? I mean, there is a certain... 
why you know Andy, a certain mercenary feel to it. Andy frankly. Kennedy told me for a long time, I'm not doing Twitter. Now apparently UAB told him as part of the deal he had yes. to do Twitter. Yeah. But you can get in trouble on Twitter. If I were a coach, I don't know how much I'd use Twitter. I might hand Twitter to a social media manager and say, go for it. Oh, look, your perfect example of, of a coach because it can't get you in trouble and you're just kind of around some is basically like what Matt Luke did. Tweet every two months, hey, retweet some recruit. When he, you know what I mean? Fine, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's all good. I mean, yeah. What was it? Blood is – you don't have to, to be blood, blood to, be to be family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cut and paste. Yeah. Control V. <laughs> Control V. <sighs> We'll uh, we'll go get David in a second. We'll talk to uh, to him. We did I tell you about special orthopedic group? Big thing. They're open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho related injuries right now at both locations. They're offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. They have twenty four hour access to appointments. Also at six six two seven six seven forty two hundred or SOGMS dot com. No referral is needed. Walk ins are welcome. And again, that is six six two seven six seven forty two hundred. Uh we are. Forgive me, I was not prepared. I should have been. I had time. We are also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. Iron Horse Grill located at 320 East Pearl Street. They sponsor my uh, Friday Food for Thought, which will be up later today. They also specialize in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. If you're planning a birthday party, a graduation celebration, a rehearsal dinner, or a wedding reception, you want to be able to enjoy the moment. The Iron Horse Grill is your answer. Give Sarah Black a call, 601-398-0151 for your catering needs and knock that off your worry list and let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. Don't just accept what you see, but imagine something new. Step forward and chase after a better version of yourself. Every day, Corinth Dental is helping people reinvent themselves one smile at a time. Dr. Bubba McQueen, Dr. Jenny Beth Hendrick are devoted to restoring and enhancing the natural beauty of your smile using conservative, state-of-the-art procedures, including Invisalign. These clear aligners are the virtually invisible way to improve your smile, so call Corinth Dental today for a no-cost digital scan of your teeth and let them show you the way to a straighter, healthier smile. 12 months, no interest, no down payment financing available at CorinthDental.com. Uh, Zach Barry and I recorded a uh, Dead Soxie, I mean, a soft verbal presented by Dead Soxie yesterday. It is up on the site and where you listen to podcasts. What's an incredibly strange time and millions of us all over the world have been impacted by these unusual events. Dead Soxie has not been immune to the situation. Like the rest of the world, they are faced with some tough choices. And what they've decided is they are going to think about things a little differently. They want to keep their team intact, paid, and employed, and they need you to help make it happen. So in the spirit of people helping people, they've decided to run a first-of-its-kind support sale. They've slashed all of their prices site-wide, $6, $9, $11 a pair. They'd rather you get their socks discounted so they can keep paying their team than worry about margins at a time like this. So deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. 
podcast is brought to you by Visit Oxford. Visit OxfordMS.com. Go to the top of the page. Click on the uh, the COVID-19 link. See the list of restaurants and retailers and their services offered at this time, including curbside and delivery services, and also how to support industry, industry employees as well. Those links are there. You can find out more. Visit OxfordMS.com. Also, one note, we talked about how the uh, the shelter in place yesterday would close all retail establishments that were not food, uh, alcohol-related, or essential services. Uh if you can deliver, they were allowing you to deliver under the uh, the premise that if you can do online orders, what's the difference in a local delivery as well? So some of those places uh, are doing online delivery. So you can check uh, you can check um, listings and whatnot to find out more there. If you're on a live stream, hang out one second. We're going to go get David Brandt here on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. David Brandt joining us now on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Mr. Brandt, 6.30 a.m. You got up just for this uh, Potato Log podcast, getting your day going. Appreciate uh, coming with us. Yeah, the revenge of Chase and Neil. I was telling you earlier, <laughs> you know, the the West Coast has its perks when, when sports are going. The, the games are a lot earlier. Everything gets over by about 10 or 11 o'clock, uh, you know. NFL football at nine in the morning is a is a beautiful actually ten a.m. is a beautiful sight, uh, but this this is not one of those times. So, but that's okay. It, it's worth it. I will get up at six thirty for you guys. You uh you mentioned a minute ago that it's almost kind of like a uh, a Las Vegas casino. You can have cocktails whenever. Remember that one in St. Louis though that had like the the closing time, like they literally took the alcohol out of your hand. When we were up there that that weekend. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, oh come on. <laughs> You're out of the state now. You can play. We can, no. we can have these conversations. No, no, that was that was a good time. That was a good time. Yeah, it was. It was like you had five heads. Like there was literally a, there was a, there was a there was a last call in the casino, and like they would come by, grab any alcohol, and throw it away. Like just gone. Yeah, like right I, I had kind of forgot that until you said that. But yes, yes, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So what was your uh, your coronavirus end of sports experience? I know you've been covering. You were covering a lot of NBA. You were starting to get ready for Major League Baseball, stuff like that, uh, NHL. I mean, you were, you're right there in, in one of the big sports towns covering a lot of pro sports, and then everything just ended. How did it, how did it end for you? Sure. Um, well, it was bizarre reporting on it because you would report stuff, and then 15 minutes later, stuff would change. Um, and so anything, you know, even on the wire, which we're constantly cycling through, stories and doing updates it was incredible the the pace of news uh during those days especially i believe on march the 11th that wednesday uh or maybe it was the 12th on the thursday it was whatever the day the, the nba suspended their season because at the time you remember i think everybody pretty much thought the big thing going forward was that teams would play without crowds uh you remember the hot spot was in seattle and so i actually i was out at the mariners camp uh, in Peoria, which is just north of Phoenix, and I was talking to people out there, Kyle Seeger, the owner, you know, all that stuff about, you know, what their contingency plans were for Seattle. And so we had done a story on that, the video, and then, um, you know, two hours later when the NBA suspends their season, I think everybody, it just sort of dawned on everybody, this is going to be a lot bigger than just Seattle having to worry about where to play their games. So, uh, you know, that, that's where I was at that particular day. And then, of course, you know, in the coming days, there's so much going on with Major League Baseball suspending new operations and then, you know, just all the news of the leagues and, and the seriousness of, obviously, the situation. That, you know, it was kind of a, a mess for several days. And, you know, now I think 
two, three weeks later, it's kind of dawned on everybody after all the news has gone that you know, the world kind of stinks without sports. Uh, but you know, at the time it was, it was a pretty wild, I'm sure it was for you guys too, just a, a pretty, you know, scary, wild 48 hours to, to be alive right there. Yeah, my last uh, sports experience was a seven-inning Ole Miss-Princeton baseball game, so I didn't exactly go out on top as we were uh, closing this thing out for the year. <laughs> well, that, that was the thing. You know, the, the, the Mariners were playing, I can't even remember who they were playing, maybe the Padres. And, you know, the NBA suspends their season like right as the game's starting, and everybody realizes there's no way baseball's playing spring training tomorrow. So it was like one of the most meeting, not only was it an exhibition game, but everybody was just like, what are we doing out here? You know what I mean? Everybody was just in, and it was funny because we're in Arizona, of course, obviously. And it, it was sort of an evening game. And, you know, it feels like, you know, Twitter, you remember that day was just, it seemed like some, I believe Tom Hanks announced he had it, you know, and everything. And it just seemed like, you know, there was just so much news happening. And in about the second inning of that spring training game, you know, the place wasn't packed, but it was probably three-quarters full. There's probably six or 7,000 people there. All of a sudden, everybody gets up and starts walking out. And I'm just thinking out, the world must be ending. What, what did everybody see on their phone? All that happened was it had started raining. I just picked the house and it started. So I remember, <laughs> but it was just one of those things where everybody gets up and, leaves, and everybody in the press box were like, oh, my gosh, what did everybody see on their phone? Everybody's frantically checking. They're like, oh, no, it just started raining. You know, but, uh Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, you know, it's funny. I, I um, I was on my way to Nashville to cover the SEC tournament, and so I got three quarters of the way to Nashville, and something just kind of came over me. I, I was listening to a lot of CNN radio and, and flipping around, and something came over me that I just thought, don't you don't need to be there. It's 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 pointless. It's dumb. It's stupid. It's risky. And I turned around and came home. I didn't go to the game, and so the next day I'm watching the Ole Miss game. And Ole Miss was playing Georgia. It was a 6 o'clock start here. And uh, it was one of those games where at halftime you knew who was going to win. The game was the – way, the way the game was going, you knew Georgia was going to win the game. And I flipped over to, to the Thunder and the Jazz wanting to watch some of that game and literally flipped to it as they were getting ready to start. And I saw the guy kind of come running across the court. And then they talked to both coaches and they send them back and both teams go to their locker rooms. And you're like, oh, wow, man – it, it, I remember thinking that because I posted on the board, guys, this just happened. And, yeah, it was crazy. It's, you think about it now. I mean, it's that was only 22 days ago. 23, oh, no, 23 I was, I days ago. Those, I saw somebody post on Twitter a few days ago that it was March 83rd. 2020 and I, <laughs> I felt that that was about right I mean it's it is it, I think for everybody um you know one of the longer three-week stretches probably of you know and, and thankfully of course not New York City or anything right now you know obviously it could be a lot worse but uh it, it's been a long three weeks for everybody so what are you hearing there I know you're around uh the the, the Suns the Diamondbacks the the Coyotes what are you hearing We'll start there with Major League Baseball, NBA, MLB. Is there any realistic hope that they resume? Well, I, I think for the NBA and the NHL, obviously the window is is closing quicker than others. It just, you know, it, unless we get some good news really quickly, it it just doesn't seem like. I, I don't know what kind of calendar. I don't have any inside information on that one, but it, it's just 
you know, it, it just seems that that would be very difficult. Um, as far as Major League Baseball, I think there's still a glimmer of hope that something could happen. I mean, they could, you know, they could theoretically start September 1st and have like an 80-game season that goes in, you know, with contingencies and neutral sites and everything like that. I mean, there's a little bit of time, you know, for, for baseball to squeeze something in. So I think there's a little bit of optimism that something could happen there, but I, I think the more this goes on, you know, everybody, I think for a week or so there, was making a lot of contingency plans. Of course, all the leagues have to do that. You'd be it'd be malpractice if you weren't, you know, bringing up possible scenarios of what you can do. It, it just has become, I, I think all of the leagues, especially baseball and, and the NFL, which are a little bit ahead of time, that it's almost a little bit fruitless to do this because there's just too much up in the air. Nobody knows, you know, it, it, it's slowed down a little bit, but I think everything changes day to day, hour to hour. So, there's just, it's, it's almost, it's exhausting thinking about all the possibilities and really it's not doing much good at this point. The NFL draft's apparently going to go on as scheduled, although it's going to be far different. It doesn't sound like the NFL, at least publicly, is is even acknowledging that they've looked at, you know, alternate alternative, alternative plans at, at postponing the schedule, backing the schedule up. Is when if, if and when you're talking to NFL people, is that what you're hearing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's business as usual, at least from the Cardinals' standpoint, until they are told differently. You know, obviously, free agency went off, uh, you know, during that time, and it was weird. But, you know, at the same time, you could do that safely, you know, through, through calls and agents and all that stuff. So I think it, it gave everybody, even though I don't know how much of a distraction it was, but at least it was something else to talk about. Uh, here at Phoenix, it was a big deal because I got DeAndre Hopkins, uh, so, so they had kind of made the big trade. Um, you, you know, I, I think that obviously behind the scenes, I'm sure there's all kinds of contingencies, plans, all those things going on. But I think the NFL, as long as they feel they can do stuff safely as far as their off-season stuff with the draft and everything, I'd be really surprised at this point if like OTAs and you know different rookie mini camps happen as as scheduled. But yeah, the league's been pretty stoic about. You know, I don't think they're going to make any announcements until they have to. So it's kind of a somewhat, even though it's a little bizarre, a little bit of a welcome distraction. Yeah, I had Chris Landry of, uh, you know, Landry Football NFL Scout guy. He was on uh, the Beer Garden yesterday, and he, he said, mini camps aren't going to happen. OTAs aren't going to happen. What's going to be interesting is what happens when, you know, NFL teams typically report what about July the twentieth for training camps, and those training camps? Yeah, that's right. Those training camps are always open to the public, and those are those are big those are big events in in those places, and uh, that's kind of the next big NFL moment. I mean, they can do the draft via Skype and conference call and stuff like that, kind of the way they they used to do it. You know, we we when we were telling the story, you know, Archie Manning found out he was drafted by with the phone call. Someone called him and said, hey, the New Orleans Saints just drafted you in the first round. And that's, that's the way it was done forever. I mean, the dog and pony show is cool, and we all like it. It's made for TV, but it's not necessary. But there comes a moment at some point in July where, from an NFL standpoint, they've got a call to make. And it's like we've been talking about the college game. I don't know that you can wait until July to announce what it is you're going to do. At some point, you've got to – you know, if, if you're going to have a unilateral decision, meaning that the 
the Pac-12 schools and the SEC schools and the Big Ten schools, et cetera, are, are going to have the same amount of preparation for a season, at some point you have to tell them when that preparation can begin. Yeah, I mean, you know, and college is obviously even on a different set of circumstances because, you know, if, if basically any of the Power Five schools say, hey, we're not bringing students back in the fall, you know, then I think that's going to cascade down. You, you know what I mean? Because if students aren't on campus, then it becomes very hard to hold, you know, football practices or games or anything like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's not just – you know, it's one of those things, it's not just an athletic issue. It kind of like it happened with the spring sports. You know, certain schools were canceling stuff before the conferences. I mean, sometimes schools, the presidents make the call, and it's really not up to the athletic, you know, decision makers anymore. And so, yeah, I, I think you, you've heard that already some schools are putting summer school instruction online. And so you kind of, you know, think about the schedule of how that, that works. I mean, probably two months ahead of time, I think by, you know, that's obviously a big decision for the schools to make because it's just, there's a lot that goes into that. But I, I think by, what do you think, like early June, I, I think pretty much everybody's going to have to have a decent idea of what's going on to, to really do something, like you said, to make it fair for everybody and to give everybody the, the same amount of preparation time. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking, you know, like a year ago, our oldest was getting ready to go off to college. And so we had plans, you know, you had roommate stuff and you were getting organized with, okay, well, and, and look, I know this isn't that big of a thing, but you think about it all the way around the country. If you're going to tell schools that, yeah, we have the go ahead report to, you know, Smith dorm on August the 13th, you know, because that's a complicated thing. Like at Arkansas with Campbell, there was, we had a move in time. It was at eight 30 in the morning on August the whatever that was. That takes a certain amount of time to organize, and you have to tell people so that they can put it in their plans. Because a lot of times people have to make you know hotel reservations or whatnot. There's a lot of that goes into that. You can't just wait till you know July the 25th and go, okay, yep, good, come on. I mean, you do have to announce those plans at some point, and I guess you could announce them and then cancel them. But if you're going to cancel them, you at some point you've you've got to make that call. There's no there's a drop dead date of some sort, it seems. Right. The the logistics, and obviously, we talk a lot about it from a sports standpoint because that's what we do. But, you know, the universities are huge. I mean, you know, 25,000, 30,000, sometimes in like Texas A&M's case, 50,000 students. Um, you know, there's just a ton of logistics that go into everything that happens, you know, with the football team, with the band, with the fraternities, with everything there's just so much that goes into it and certainly in a strange situation you can make you know exceptions and, and try to make do it stuff like that but i agree with you totally you can it's not like four or five days before you're like all right we got the clear you know let's let's do this um it, it just it takes a lot more than that so um that decision i think is going to come a little earlier than, than people expect and i i think i think everybody at this point just you know for the sake of people's health for everything just is craving some good news right now and there's not a lot of it to come by right now and so it, i think it's just it's it's a tough time for everybody we got asked this the other day. Um, we still haven't done it because we just had actually weirdly some news, guests, different things. Uh, 
top 10 college football games that we kind of remember over the last decade or so. What uh, what sticks out to you? Not necessarily Ole Miss, not necessarily you covered, but just in general. What college football games over the last 10 years come to your head? Oh, gosh, over the last 10 years. I mean, that uh, just, you know, immediately. Probably an Independence Bowl LSU that you've Texas covered, right? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> um, you know, LSU-Texas A&M, the seven-overtime game a couple of years ago was, was pretty incredible. Or was that last year? The, the years were running. I think that was two years ago. That was an incredible game. Um, you know, just in games I covered the Ole Miss-Alabama game was was pretty awesome when they tore down the, the goalposts. Um, that Sugar Bowl was really good. Um, you know, I covered a great game this year. That, that Ohio State-Clemson Fiesta Bowl mm-hmm. in Phoenix was oh, yeah fantastic game one of the better ones i've covered in person um you know i'm trying to think i I know they 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 were showing reggie bush in the rose bowl the other day that's more than 10 years ago but that was an awesome game he was Um, a freak man when you watch him on the college level you realize that dude was unbelievable i mean probably well that's why everybody thought he was going to be like a transcendent nfl player and he ended up being good he was very good I, I guess you could say he was a little bit of a disappointment but yeah in college he was amazing there were so many good players on that field yeah somebody asked but me what I, yeah go, go ahead go ahead well, I think what, say, no, what, what's yours? Well, I, what, 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 the thing I got asked the other day by somebody was, hey, if somebody just had to watch a couple Ole Miss games to kind of get the idea of the program over the last 10 years, and I thought, you know what? We never cover boring. We never really get uh, average. It, it's just, it is train uh, wrecks. We got, we got okay. three years of pretty boring. Well, that's, that's true. But point being. <laughs> yeah. It, there was a stretch, but there was a stretch there where we talked about this. They were four-hour heart attacks. You yeah. know, and that's when you weren't even like particularly emotionally invested. I was just trying to write a coherent seven hundred words about what happened, and it was like that Arkansas Ole Miss game. Um, you know the 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 lateral and all that. I know I'm bringing up bad memories for Ole Miss fans, but that was one of the most incredible games I've ever covered. Um, you know the Alabama Ole Miss game. Uh, what would be some others during that stretch? Those Texas A and M games against Johnny Football. Yeah, games. Um, you know, and you guys went to more of the road games, so you remember more of those in person. But I mean, there was some incredible because you know they were well, that Ole Miss Auburn game where Treadwell broke his leg. I mean, that was an incredible football game. It, you hate that it ended the way that it ended with with Lacan getting hurt, but that game was just an absolute seesaw game. And at the at the time, it had national title ramifications in it. Yeah, and that I think that was the thing of it too. It wasn't just that Ole Miss was like an exciting 6-6 six and six team that played close games. I mean, these were nationally important, really good games. Their, their rival, Mississippi State, was really good, and they were playing really important games at the same time. Um, it was just it was an incredible two or three years uh, of football. And then, you know, it all kind of, you know, the crescendo was that Super Bowl, the, the whatever that passed to Laramie Tunzel and, and just all the things they did. I mean, it was – that was a uh, – pretty incredible. It wasn't just that year, but that two or three year stretch was, was pretty incredible. You mentioned PTSD and different things as far as for, for Ole Miss fans. T- Teddy Cahill was full of it yesterday, the Baseball America writer. I guess he was watching on TV or it was on somewhere. He was live tweeting the Ole Miss Tennessee Tech Monday. Oh wow! And I thought, oh God, if Ole Miss people were watching right now, oh, I mean, there, there seriously might cool. be some, so, so, some some mental anguish going on as the, this happened. He, he went through game one and game two and I'm like, oh my God. I will say this: that is that is one day that I will always remember, and I won't remember that. I can't tell you anything that happened in the game, 
But I can remember starting starting about an hour before the game, there was an atmospheric game shift. Two. Yes. Okay. There was an atmospheric shift in that stadium that was palpable. And I told you about it. I wrote about it. It was it was different. I'll, I will always remember that place felt different. And I've had I've described it to people who were at um, in, at Wrigley for 2003 for Game Seven of the NLCS the day after the Bartman game, and they say, "Oh, yeah, that's exactly what Wrigley felt like." You when you know well, you know, you know I mean, a loss is coming. Would, yeah, the thing I would compare it to, and Chase was there for this. You might have been too. Was that Ole Miss Virginia game? Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in 2000, because they had you know the ball went between Evan Button's legs and the Drew Pomeranz had pitched so well and. I remember game three, they came back and, you know, like legitimately they had some pitching, like there was no reason they couldn't win that game, but it just, I don't think anyone felt like it was, it was always, there was not an air of confidence in that stadium. And it ended up, it wasn't a terrible game, but they lost. And yeah, they lost like four to one or something. They were just kind of listless that day because what, even, even after yeah. the, I mean, and again, I'm not going to go through the Virginia nine Super Regional on people, but Button throws the ball away. I thought the most critical part of that was Mike didn't come out to the mound. He had David Goforth on the mound, the freshman. He had a Dusty Baker moment. And he didn't go out there and kind of settle him. And then it went like walk, single, double or something and got away. But Ole Miss loaded the bases with one out in the ninth, down one run, um, and just couldn't get it done. The game ended. And, yeah, it felt like it, it felt like a 24-hour funeral at that point where game three – I wrote one of my best columns after that coming. game. I wrote that – I compared it to the Cubs-Bartman thing, and I said – don't let anyone tell you that you're going to get over this quickly. You won't. It's going to stick with you for a long time. It's going to haunt the program for a while, and and that's just how it works. The, games like that, games like that are are paradigm shifts for a, a team or a, a franchise or whatever. And and Mike has gotten a lot better. Mike was pretty tied as a manager during that point because what stuck out to me is in game two. I think it was game two. It might have been game one to game two. Either way. In one of them, Jordan Henry leads off the game with a hit, and he lets Logan Power hit next, and he hits a two-run home run. The next game, Jordan gets on, and then he has Logan bunt him over to second. First inning. And I thought, that's tight. That's, hey, I need one run, whatever, instead of just kind of letting the game play out a little bit. For some reason, that's what sticks in my mind from that series. No, I totally remember that, too. And, you know, Logan Power was like – the the team's all-time leading RBI guy, you know, I mean, had an incredible season, and you were having him bunt in the first. Because didn't he have him bunt from second to third? Wasn't that the – Was it even second to third? Maybe he hit a double and then bunted him over? Was that what it was? Yeah, I thought Jordan Henry doubled, and then they bunted from second to third. Okay. With like, no outs. And maybe I'm wrong there. I'd have to go back and look. But I, I do – I totally – I was sitting next to you, and we just thought that was – incredibly tight because that just wasn't how they had been playing the last several weeks that team had been playing really well they had won if i remember at the sec west they had went and swept arkansas um you know that was a team that was playing pretty loose and playing well and had some guys that you know with the personality that could kind of you know i remember matt smith and those guys it was a, it was a pretty loose team all things considered but yeah it, it changed in a hurry I don't know that anyone would listen because I would be punishing people. That's that team is probably the most interesting I've ever covered. I mean, I, I could do a full podcast on that season and that team. They were, you know, in so many different ways, just kind of weird, um, positively and negatively. I mean, they, I mean, they won the SEC. They went twenty and ten in the league, and then just yeah. All right, let me ask you guys a hypothetical. Sure. We always talk about the the fourth and twenty five crazy play. 
let's say it doesn't happen and Ole Miss wins that game. Okay? Ole Miss wins, and now they control their own destiny. They got to beat LSU and Mississippi State, two games that they ended up winning and, and winning fairly convincingly. In your opinions, does Hugh Freeze get so tight that those games are different if the national titles or a, a chance at a national playoff is on the line? Actually, I don't. I thought that was always one of Hugh Freeze's best qualities. Now, the team may not have played as well. The team collect, but I, I always – one of Hugh Freeze's best qualities, I thought, was that he was a very loose play caller. He executed whatever plan he thought was going to work. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. Um, but I never felt that the – and maybe that would have changed with, like, true national title implications, but I, I thought one of his better qualities was that he – I didn't really think his play calling got overly tight or loose, depending on the situation. I just think he kind of went with, you know, his plan, his gut, all those different things, and I don't think that changed much. All right, let me play out a little further then, since we have nothing but time. God, we got months, maybe years. Um, I'm kidding, months. Right, months. Um, months. Months, just got to be right. months. Uh, I, I, at be. This, at this point, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're all going to be covering politics. Um, all right, so let's say uh, let's say that Ole Miss wins that game. They they beat LSU. They beat uh, Mississippi State. They would have beaten Florida because Florida was just a shell of itself in the in the title game. I, I'm not sure that the entire division wouldn't have beaten Florida that day. They beat Florida. We did a, a computer thing. Ole Miss would have made the final and would have had a real shot at winning a national championship. Draft day still still would have happened in April, the Tunsil stuff. It would have been an even bigger story than it was because Ole Miss would have been coming off in this scenario. Either, at least a playoff berth. At least a playoff berth and maybe would be the national title. Would Hugh Freeze have survived it? Everything stays the exact same. Would Hugh Freeze have survived it with the title, the SEC and potentially national championship ring on his finger? I'll never say never, but that whole thing would have been really difficult to navigate because I think the NCAA would have even been more motivated. And then, of course, you've got the personal stuff, the phone calls on top of it. I it, it I understand why it would be really hard for Ole Miss to make that move after everything that happened, even harder than it than it was initially. But I think that was a move that their hand was going to be forced either way. That's that's my personal opinion. What do you think? I th- no, I, I agree. I completely think you're right. I always think about how big that story could have been. Like how close Ole Miss was to being in a championship game, to potentially being a championship team. That team that dismantled Oklahoma State in the Sugar Bowl, that was not a bad Oklahoma State team. That was an Oklahoma State team that made the Sugar Bowl. And and Ole Miss just whipped them. It was it was a the game was over at the half. And and you think about how well that team was playing, what they possibly could have done, what would have happened had they won it, and how big that story would have been. And I agree with you completely. It's it's the part of the NCAA investigative thing that a lot of fans push back on, and I just dig my feet in because I know I'm right. The bigger the scalp, the more they want you. And had Hugh Freeze won a title, that scalp would have been bigger and shinier than than it was already. They would have wanted that one, and they, they had him. They had him in their crosshairs. I think that story would have been so much bigger. Right. I think the, the personal stuff almost gave everyone an out, you know, how it worked out actually in real life. You know, I mean, that, you know, the NCAA was able to kind of 
stand down slightly, you know, but, but it just would have made it even more and more. I, I, I think that's true. I think everybody's human. And when, you know, stuff is quote unquote more important, um, it just becomes, you become that much more motivated. So anyway, I mean, that would have been, yeah, that was it. Cause then on this team, I, I, you're right, was capable of beating anybody. They, they had a great offense and, and it was the one year they really had a defense to match. Yeah. Um, the team was really was, good. Yeah. I mean, there, there were several NFL players and they actually had some depth at, at several positions that allowed them to, you know, do a lot of good things. You know, guys like remember Mike Hilton, I, uh, it was fun to see him this year when he was playing for the Steelers in Arizona. Um, you know, still a really good player, but just guys like Mike Hilton, who were just really, really, really good football players and, you know, was just a guy on that defense kind of. And so, um, you know, those were, those were, those were good times. The one thing I've always hated about the outcome of that game is that it, if, if everyone's right that they would have won out, it cheated us out of one of the great playoff debates of all time. Because it was going to be Ole Miss at 11-2 and two SEC champ with this one egregious loss on their resume that everyone would have said, but, but, but they lost at Memphis. And, and people were going to look at that and say, well, what, what do we do with that? And, and going into that particular playoff, it was all about, hey, you know, we need, uh, if you win a conference championship, that, that has weight. And so Ole Miss would have been a conference champion that won at Alabama. Alabama would only have the one loss. They would have been 11-1. And And, uh, I guess Ohio State was another team. There was was another 11-1 team that didn't have a a conference title. It would have been really fascinating to see what the committee would have done and then whether that would have – had they done what I think they would have done, which is I think Ole Miss would have made the playoff at the expense of either Alabama or Oklahoma – and I think that would have forced at least a discussion at that point about, hey, do we have this thing right? Do we need to go to eight teams? Do we need to have another round of playoffs? They got Arkansas winning that game sort of bailed the committee out. Right, and it's amazing how many times that's happened where you can see like a really rough scenario coming. And then usually it kind of sorts itself out. There's some debate between four and five, but it's nothing. Yeah too egregious um you know they really haven't had that really difficult scenario that you're talking about so you know i've i've always been on that i I think the eight team playoff just makes so much sense because you can do the five conference champions one from the group of five and then two wild cards from the power five and that just seems it, it seems like that you know obviously the weight of winning your conference really means something uh you get two other teams in there that you know, and there's always going to be debate between that seventh and eighth or eighth and ninth team, and then and then the Power Five gets represented too, um, which I think is important because it, it's kind of like the NCAA tournament. You give the little guy a chance at least. Yeah, and the um, and the and the debate and, on seven and eight, you'd be talking about flawed teams that you know. I mean, it wouldn't be it it would be a it would be passionate in those markets, but it wouldn't be some national thing where people are like, oh wow, yeah, you know, it's like in that old in that year. Well, it would be passionate. Right, it'd be passionate just like the way the NCAA bubble is right. on, on Selection Sunday, you know, and then there's, you know, everybody gets mad, and sure, there's some teams that probably should have gotten in or should not have, but at the end of the day, like, you kind of put yourself in that position. It's not like we're talking about a conference champion not yeah. getting in. You know, that's, where, things like that. that's where Ole Miss would have been the, the absolute poster child for a fascinating debate, because you could have made the argument that they deserve it based on 
man, they won in Tuscaloosa. They won the best league in the country. They're, they they won the SEC title. They've got the crown. They deserve in. And then you would easily be able to make the other argument where you like, they went to Memphis and lost. And not only lost, right. lost handedly. It wasn't even a particularly right. close game. You Both of those would be very compelling arguments that would have had to be made in Dallas or wherever that committee met. And it would have been... It would have been debated all over the country. Now, what would have been fascinating? Now that I think about it, could Hugh Freeze sure. could well, could Hugh Freeze have handled all of the criticism both ways in that week or so leading up to it? How how crazy would his Twitter account have looked in that week? Oh my gosh, that would have been. <laughs> Just thinking about that now, because <laughs> that was always that was always the thing with Hugh Freeze. Like you know, I I think. You know, I just complimented his play calling in the way that I thought he stayed steady, even in big games. What was weird about him is he could be so um, he could be so cool and calm during games, like with play calling. But then, you know, little brush fires off the field on Twitter and stuff like that. He just, you know, I mean, like stuff was always happening. It, it, you talk about sweating the small stuff and little things. I mean, I just don't. You know, it just must have been a pressure cooker to be him at times because um, there was just a lot of angst there with stuff that you wouldn't think there would be a ton of angst. And then on the flip side, the stuff that was actually a big deal, he usually rose to the occasion. So it was just kind of a fascinating case study. What do you think the next sporting event you're going to cover is? Oh, gosh. You're making me depressed. Uh, I'm, I'm still holding out hope that um, the waste management that, we're going to be going that long I'm kidding <laughs> that yeah. something can be figured out and that the first thing I will cover is a major league baseball game sometime in August that's that's wow. a optimistic scenario okay how, how uh, now that you I mean because I I read an interesting thing on NFL.com I, I think the uh, I think it was NFL.com, maybe it was ESPN, but it was it was the NFL's lead doctor was talking, and you know, as he said, the the real, you know, when you were talking about if they if they think they're going to start the season on time, but the real issue is is that you know there, there's got to be such widespread testing, and there's got to be a waiver of the requirement that if one person tests positive, that everybody else has to quarantine for 14 days, because you know, in the NFL with 53 players on each team, and 30 teams, so that's 1,500 guys, there's a pretty good chance at some point, you know, this thing isn't going to totally go away just overnight, um, that somebody at some point during the league, whether it's, you know, we're not even talking about coaches and personnel, that's just players, somebody's going to test positive. So if at some point somebody tests positive, then does everybody around them have to point? It would be really hard to have a league and games you know, if everybody in close contact, there's just got to be. There's a lot of things that have to happen, and I don't know if we're very close to answering those questions yet. Yeah, it's the one thing about the college game that that when people say, "Hey, they're going to get it going," they're going to get it going. In the back of my mind, I always think, "But what happens when someone tests positive? Do you have to isolate right. a program? Do you have to go back and go, okay, well." So Ole Miss played Auburn, and an Ole Miss kid tested positive. Now Auburn turned around the next week and played. Mississippi State, do you got to go test the whole state team? Do we have the testing in place to test that many people on demand like that? How does that work? I mean, I, there's no way to answer that on April, though. What is today? 
March the 807th or something like that. There's no way to answer that. <laughs> today, maybe there will be answers to all of that by the time it rolls around, but today it's so hard to know those answers. What happened, you know, do you, sure. do you, how do you, how do you determine what, what who gets isolated? Outbreak? Yeah. What if there's a small outbreak on a college campus and suddenly like Auburn shuts down? You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not even talking about the football team. I'm talking about just the student body. Um, you know, then what does Auburn have to suspend play and everybody else keeps going? Like, you know what I mean? Which all of those are very plausible scenarios. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's just, that's why it's so difficult to talk about now just because there's like i said i I think there's obviously a lot of motivation to figure out solutions to this because you know everybody and not just talking about sports but i think everybody understands that you know the economy being totally halted for five or six months is not the ideal situation um but but obviously public health is a big deal so it's going to be an incredible balance the next however long it is probably we're in it for the long haul in your opinion, does the because the, 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 the geography is different? I know you've spent most of your life in the Midwest and then the Southeast. Now you're out there. Is is the thirst for college football, in your opinion, going to be as strong among the Pac-12 schools as it is among SEC schools? I mean, there's a, and this is just my experience being here one season. There's a very passionate fan base. Uh, for all the teams out here, Arizona State, Arizona, it's just not nearly as widespread as it is in the SEC or even like Texas, Oklahoma, Ohio State, those types of things. You know, there's there's a clump of, of people that really care about Arizona State, Arizona. Those are the two programs, obviously, I'm closest to. But it's just not, you know, there's not the whole, it's not like on Saturday mornings in Phoenix that the place is just palpable for a big <laughs> you know, Pac-12 game. That's just not how it works. I mean, when Arizona State got pretty good now for a while, and there was a little bit of buzz around it, but it was just, it was nothing compared to, you know, that, that those big weekends in the Southeast, like in late October, early November, when there's two or three huge SEC games going on every weekend, and everybody's got, like, their entire weekends planned out. Like, it just, in, it, in the West Coast, it seems for most people, at least, it's just sort of, adds to the weekend if you're a sports fan and most people care more about the NFL the next day. But there is a, I don't want to like discount there are all really passionate fans for Pac twelve teams. There's just not nearly as many of them as there are in the SEC. Thanks my man. Hope you, you and your family stay safe. Appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. You guys too. Uh, it was good talking to you, even if you got me up at six thirty. Yeah. Yeah, you got you got your whole day left, Dave. We got scolded, by right, the way, now, Dave. Now, now I got the blood pumping. I, yeah, I might go out for a run. We oh, got. Let's be honest. I won't go out for a run. We got scolded. By the way, when you go out and run there, you don't sweat, and then you get back home and you realize that you're dehydrated. Yes. No, it's incredible. The weather here is pretty, pretty amazing most of the time. Now you know, 112 in the middle of August. That's pretty hot. But yeah, it's uh. You know, I, I really have no excuse to not go running just about every day now because it's sunny and beautiful 95% of the time. But still, I find ways to procrastinate. We were scolded finally for uh, introducing you just as Associated Press writer and not as – and it's an appropriate scolding. We deserved it. Uh, we should have introduced you as AP writer, former college baseball coach David Brandt. I would like to formally apologize to you for the uh, the, <laughs> the omission in your introduction. We will get it right next time. Well, you got to get the the full the full intro there because that's a that's a big part of it. It's weird when your college baseball highlight comes off the field. 
that, that tells you. But hey, you're undefeated. So I mean, undefeated is undefeated. <laughs> yeah, Dave. I mean, I, I agree. It's a good highlight. I, I'm, I'm proud of that highlight. But it's just. <laughs> The, the pitching part of my career. There's, I, I don't want to talk about that stuff. <laughs> Enjoyed it, bud. Talk to you soon. All right, man. You guys have a good day. Okay. You too. It was David Brandt there on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Took a break to you by Tyson Drugs and G&M Pharmacy. G&M 662-236-2222 that deliver locally in the Oxford area to your home or workplace. They uh, offer medicine to take care of you. All your prescriptions the same day every month to make uh, the uh, whether it be the delivering or the pickup or anything as manageable as possible. And right now it's a pretty big deal. So 662-236-2222. The podcast is also sponsored by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with the Nest and Wild mattress. It's a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy every Nest and Wild is one foot thick. They are all uh, American-made, and it comes with an incredible uh, discount by just pointing out to them that you heard about Nest and Wild on this here Potato Log podcast. You also fight cancer in your sleep. Nest and Wild is partnered with former Major League pitcher Jason Mott and his foundation in the fight against cancer. They donate a portion of every mattress back to uh, every mattress sold back to Jason's charity. Go to nestandwild.com, order your mattress, enter the promo code <coughs> REBEL20, and get 20% off your purchase. Your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. We're also brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. They treat investing like a commodity and decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, uh, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. It's Pintrust.com, P-I-N-N-Trust.com. Mention you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. Podcast also brought to you by In-House Interior and Design. Whether it's uh, something that can be talked about now or later, keep them in mind. 662-681-6241 is the uh, the phone number. They have full contractor crews available when everything ramps back up. But you can talk ideas. You can talk appointments. You can talk what is offered from discounts and more with Nikki and Ashley. 30 years combined experience. They travel in-state and out-of-state when this is done. So, again, 662-681-6241. Appreciate David for uh, giving us a good bit of time there, getting up early. I, I thought it was only one hour back. I forgot we were two hours back during this uh, this time of the year. Um, we opened up the show talking about Apple Watches a little bit. Alabama says that don't worry, they're not um, they're not using these for workout monitoring. They're using them for a heart rate and sleep purposes. Oh, that's what it is. Oh yeah, so okay. it, it, it's clears, all good. That clears that right up. No, nothing to see here. Move on with your day. It's uh, it's all cool. They, they would never be monitoring and, and making sure that their athletes were participating in workouts that were designed by them. No way. Alabama asserts it is not using the Apple Watches to oversee workouts or private workout instruction. People with knowledge of the situation told the athletic on condition of anonymity. Yes. Instead, the watches are being utilized to monitor the health of their players, gauging mm. sleep patterns, heart spikes, no different than a Fitbit. Crimson Tide players who didn't already have How an Apple Watch. How many people watch monitor your Fitbit, Were Chase? provided one before they left comp- campus. 
You got people monitoring your Fitbit? I don't have a Fitbit. Well, if you had one, how many people would be monitoring it? Um, unless Alexa's doing it, probably none. My, two of my kids have Apple Watches. I wonder how many people are monitoring their Apple Watch for activity and sleep patterns. Yeah, I think I'm the only one that has access to my, 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 my watch I have on right now. You're it. It does sleep patterns, but I think I'm, and frankly, I don't even check them, so I don't know. You don't send them to your doctor or, or, or anyone out there, your trainer? That feels like an added service that would be expensive, but. It is amazing, though. Yeah, they were given watches before they left. They didn't already have one. Every school can do that. That's cheap. Oh, no yeah. Problem. I mean, yeah. No, come on. How much is an Apple watch? 350 400 yeah, bucks. I mean, what's that? A drop in the bucket. I'm sure ULM and Middle Tennessee and UAB gave all of their football players Apple watches on the way out for quarantine. The SEC is aware. Um, Alabama Senior Associate AD for Compliance, Matt Self, said in a statement. No. Said, though, they're in constant communication. Yes, yes, The appropriate yes, yes. manner in which to utilize these and other resources. The quote would be uh, uh, Nick Saban telling the SEC, kiss my ass. That's the quote? Yeah. This damn quarantine thing's a damn joke. I need my players on campus right now. There is nothing more important than this football. I mentioned, um, and I get this is not necessarily him, this is Mike Davis, the head of the USGA, but I mentioned Mike Wan at the beginning of the show, the LPGA commissioner. The uh, the LPGA has moved their women's open to December. Oh. December for uh, that one. You think there's some uh, 27-year-old uh, men living in their mother's basement right now putting apples on their watch? Ooh, like, trying to. Think so? Mom, this right here is an Apple watch. I got me one just like, just like Coach Saban and them have all the boys. Mama, why are we quarantining? Houston, December 10th. What's the weather like in Houston in December? Probably very pleasant. Yeah. It was originally scheduled for uh, June 4th to 7th. That would have been the Serpents of the Sun. Houston gets about one week of spring and one week of fall, and that's right around December. So, yeah, it'll be nice. And now Champions Golf Club in Houston, December 10th through 13th. So, Because of the limited daylight, they will play on two courses instead of one. So. But anyway, just coming full circle. So we uh, finish up today's podcast. Just want to point that out as uh, we're doing that. But again, good interview. If you want to just if you're looking for podcasts, looking for things to do, that was a uh, that was worth uh, that was worth your uh, your time. So anyway, uh, we'll try to have guests too. You've got several next week as we're uh, yeah. coming through. We'll uh, yeah, Kenzie Salmon's going to be with us one day. Uh, Jared Duke's going to be with us That's one right. day. Working on some other things as well. That's right. Yeah, because you said a couple other people. Now I'm forgetting yeah, who they were. I'm going to uh, – Royce Young's going to be with That's us right. soon. Okay. Um, both yeah. he and Tony Jones are going to be with us soon. They were both in Oklahoma City that night. That's right. When the world stopped. Yeah. So. All right. Appreciate everybody hanging in the live stream. We had a little bit of internet issue for a second, but you, uh, it held through. We all got through the morning. So uh, thanks to David for an extended period of time with him, and we'll talk to you again on Monday.